Hi, Gary here. Today's guest, entrepreneur and podcaster Dan Kirby, is high energy, super authentic, and pretty much as direct as you can get. And we decided that the only way to bring this to life was to give you the full Dan Kirby experience. So if you're offended by a bit of swearing, then this probably isn't the episode for you. But if you're fine with it, then you're going to have just a great time hearing his unique and straight-down-the-line take on bringing your true self to work. Enjoy. Yeah, look, I've got to humble myself here. I've got to take ownership, and I can't pretend that this is a success anymore. I can't bullshit to myself. I can't bullshit to the world or my team. The, the numbers are telling a story. I and mean, then the story is, this is a fuck up. Right? That's the basic too long don't read of my 2017. And my personal life has said the same thing too. So, so the, the, the single bankrupt Dan Kirby living in a bedsit somewhere was at that point, mid 2017, a probability. Not a possibility, like this was the likely outcome of the circumstances I was in. And that didn't happen. But I, I was w walking on a knife edge. And the only thing that got me through was taking ownership and telling myself the truth without the filter of ego. If you hadn't had financial challenges in the business, if you'd been in the stage where it was continuing to work in the way it had done before, do you think you would have come to the cathartic moment a different way? Do you think you wouldn't have come to the cathartic moment? I might be divorced. I might be, I'm not, but like, I might be. I might be continuing with mental health issues. There was a, a form by which I arrived at that point. The form was financial catastrophe. But then why is there a financial catastrophe? Well, it wasn't just freaking abstract stuff, like in a series of spreadsheets that were wrong. It's all of that, where does that come from? Well, it comes from me. I created the company, I led the company, I hired the people, I chose the strategy, I was in the company every day. All these, again, people like to have this sort of, what was it that made the business blow up? Was it um, the, the debt to GDP ratio on your thing? And is it some, some sort of mechanical, tactical thing that was to do with the accounting system of the company? Was that the reason that it went blow up? I thought, well, maybe, but like the real reason was me. I knew there were straws in the wind. I saw it, smelled it, I just didn't want to do it. I thought, ah, I didn't want, I couldn't be, if I'm really honest, I didn't want to, I, was, I couldn't be bothered. I just sort of checked out. And that's why it all happened. My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, 
how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. Back in May 2022, in episode 25 of the Unlock Moment, you might remember my conversation with former Grey's Snacks CEO, Anthony Fletcher, who talked about a booming business suddenly hitting the buffers due to factors outside their control and how it impacted his mindset and choices as a leader. Today, we're back on a similar theme. I heard today's guest on stage at a recent leadership conference and knew he'd be a great storyteller for you to hear from. Dan Kirby is the CEO of the tech department, a business specializing in helping startup founders build reliable, scalable tech. He has an eclectic set of interests, having starred in a movie pilot and run the Marathon des Sables in the Sahara Desert, raising £14,000 for children's charity. Following on from his own experience of making meaning from business crisis moments, he's also host of the hit podcast, Honey, I Blew Up the Business. We're going to talk about what it feels like when things start to go off the rails, how you deal with it, and how you can build to come out the other side resilient and ready to grow. And I'm looking forward to hearing about the unlocked moments of remarkable clarity that helped Dan figure out his own path. Dan Kirby, it's my very great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. It's great to be here. I feel like at this point I should have some sort of explosion sound. From here, the blow-up guy is here. There you go. Where do we need to start in your story to understand the person you've become today? Uh-huh. Well, it all come, it, it, the, uh, the meme-like name of my um, podcast, and if you ever get a chance to have a look at the, um, the graphics of it, it's, it's, it's a bit of a piss take of what was, and still is, actually, the worst experience of my life. And, and um, So the paradox of, of, this, of my story, actually, is, and often um, really the thesis of my podcast is most people's stories, or quite often, is the thing that is, quote, bad for you, ends up becoming the thing that then is the most transformative experience of your life and then makes you the person you are, which is then, quote, good. So there's a really kind of interesting thing here where the worst thing that ever happened to me, which I've now memefied and turned into a podcast series, also paradoxically at the same time was the best thing that's ever happened to me. And it, and it is the, the time in 2017 where I uh, blew up the business, or should I say a series of confluence of events conspired to blow up the business, which I, uh, at that moment, in my unlock moment, as it were, took, I decided to take 100% responsibility for the blow up. And so the person I am today, which, uh, so six years later from that period, the Dan Kirby of 2017 was, uh, had clinical depression, a rocky marriage, uh, a business that was booming, but was consuming a lot of resource and energy. Uh, was, I would say, disconnected from himself, was very unkind to himself, uh, was, you know, from the outside in, very successful, you know, fame and money. Um, but on the inside out was, you know, disconnected. And the Dan Kirby that stands before you now is, is fixed all that stuff. Uh, so I, uh, I suppose technically I still have clinical depression. I do still to take meds for it. But my uh, depression is like an undulating sine wave of ups and downs. Um, so I kind of fixed it. And uh, my business is, is doing better than ever. It w- works without me in it. I don't even get involved with the operations. I do podcasts and schmooze people and shit and do stuff I enjoy. Uh, I've got a, it's, my business has just turned 19. We're in, a, we're in our 20th year. 
I've got a great relationship with my business partner, my team, my kids. I've got three teenage daughters want to hang out with me. In fact, I've just been to Barcelona with my 13-year-old to go to Primavera Sound Festival. I took her because Depeche Mode, my favorite band, were playing. And I figured, I don't drink anymore. So I thought, I'm not going to go and get shit faced with my mate. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll take my daughter and take her for a night out in Barcelona instead. So, that, so I've got this and I've got a great, my marriage is better than ever. And I'm fitter than ever. Literally, I'm 50 next month. In fact, yeah, August 23rd. I am fitter now than I've ever been ever, uh, physically fitter. So on, a, on every sort of, um, I, but that wouldn't have happened, I don't believe, without the blow up. The blow up was a forcing function, a velocity creator, uh, an energy unlocker. And uh, it forced me to smash open what was the problem in my life, which was my kind of walnut shell ego and sort of sense of I knew the answer to everything and perhaps humble myself and learn. It's really interesting the way you, you say all that with, with disarming honesty. And, and I wonder how many of the people listening to this are going, mm, is that me? Was that me? That's interesting. Um, and something I'm really interested in, in the, in the title of your podcast is this very deliberate, honey, I blew up the business as opposed to my business blew up, honey, I blew up the business. So talk to me about that, that sense of, I did it. It was, it was me. What does that mean for you? A little sidebar on the name, actually. Honey, I blew up the business. Everyone, a lot of people will say to me, great name. And I can't really take credit for it. There's a, a good friend of mine called Colin Lewis, who's a, a fantastic marketer. He writes a column for Marketing Week. And we, he's an old friend, long-standing friend, and we're in a mastermind group together. And my original name, they, I was informed, was boring. And, he, and Colin said, um, Dan, you would never, ever call, call it this. Because it's just really a bad idea. But what about something like, honey, I shrunk the business? And I went, hang on. And so anyway, I, I switched around to Honey, I Blow Up the Business, which was the second film to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And that's what it's called now. So it literally was a joke, the name, by the way. So, but it's interesting you picked up on the I shrunk bit. But, uh, I blew up, sorry. The I, because that's critical to it. And, and it was a moment in 2017 when it blew up. And by the way, there was a lot of people and circumstances I could point and think, I can still, well, if I wanted to, I choose not to point the finger at. There was a management team. There was a managing director. There was a, a, a Brexit that didn't help. There was a bunch of people highly paid, dicking about, not adding a lot of value, frankly. Um, and I could have pointed at all those things. And I had depression. Yeah. I was struggling with my mental health and my health. Uh, I had you know, young kids. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I could have gone, well, I'm depressed and Brexit. Oh, well, what can I do? And it was a very distinct moment. And, and it, I've got to thank uh, my fellow podcaster, Jocko Willink, the Navy SEAL guy who um, looks like the hardest man in the world. He'd written a book called Extreme Ownership, which I'd read. I'd, I'd, I'd heard him on um, Tim Ferriss' podcast at the time. He was just when he was becoming a, a bit of a thing. I'd read his book, Extreme Ownership. And in the book, he talks about if you're running a US Navy SEALs unit, or he, this is what he did, if someone dies on a mission and you're in charge of that mission, then it's your responsibility. Even if you could have questioned the mission, you could have explored more research about where you were going, you could have perhaps prepared the team better. And if you take that full ownership of your, the, the well-being of your team and the success of the mission, then it's actually liberating because you have to really lean into it. 
And I'd just read this book, and Jocko's quite a commanding character. And I thought, I could, like, like a worm wiggle on the hook, bitching and moaning about my mental health and the market and what I do. Or I could man up a bit and be a Jocko type Navy SEAL mindset and go, yeah, I'm I'm the dude here poncing around with the CEO title, winning awards and that, and getting the big check. I can't just like unhook myself from the fact that the the responsibility that's associated with that. And that was a bitter pill to swallow, I've got to tell you, because I didn't want to hear that. And I was forced to by Jocko. And he made me have it. And I I was like, oh, bastard. And and the, the the result of that, going back to my walnut shelled like skull, was I, the previous ten years or so, I'd had fifteen years maybe, I had a series of like burnout episodes, and all of it which came down to the same thing was I thought I knew what the answer was to every question, and I would knock my head against a brick wall to try and smash through the wall, and my thick skull could sustain that thing. But then I couldn't work out why I was burning out, why I had clinical depression, and why was things not going well for me, and why was my wife pissed off at me. I just can't work it out because I'm right, obviously, by default. And it took me to the 2017 thing to, like, finally smash open that walnut shell. And the extreme ownership thing was perhaps the thing that – I mean, I didn't, I'm didn't. i rethinking this now. But perhaps that was partly the thing that really cracked it open. It was like, like, yeah, look, I've got to humble myself here. I've got to take ownership, and I can't pretend that this – is a success anymore. I can't bullshit to myself. I can't bullshit to the world or my team. The, the numbers are telling a story. And then the story is, this is a fuck up, right? That's the basic too long don't read of my 2017. And my personal life has said the same thing too. So, so the, the, the single bankrupt Dan Kirby living in a bedsit somewhere was at that point in mid 2017, well, probably September 2017, and a probability. Not a possibility. Like this was the likely outcome of the circumstances I was in. Um, and that didn't happen. But like I was w- walking on a knife edge. And the only thing that got me through was um, taking ownership and telling myself the truth without the filter of ego. Yeah. So embracing reality, as Ray Dalio would say. Uh, Ray Dalio, in, in his book Principles, his first principle is to embrace reality and deal with it. And that's uh, quite harsh to accept when you're struggling and perhaps life's hard for you. But actually, it's up to you. you have the responsibility, the response base ability, the ability to respond in a moment of crisis, in any moment, in an unlock moment, perhaps. The response ability. And I had the responsibility as the leader, and I had therefore the ability to respond. And that is what I chose to do in uh, my moment of crisis. So here's my fascination with the unlock moment. And I speak to a lot of leaders who in different contexts have gone through this, from ego to humble, vulnerable leadership in different ways at different times for different reasons. Do you remember a moment in time where you suddenly found clarity about the path ahead in that time? Yeah, and it was actually sort of very closely, there was a particular moment, and I can't remember exactly when it was. So, so sort of start of that year, everything was gravy. Q2, sort of April time, it started looking a bit shaky. By June, it was like, oh no, this is actually just plummeting to the, to the floor kind of thing. And 
And we had to make, we were a team of 25 people at the time, my company, and we went, went down to a team of 15. So we went through a round of redundancies. And that's a traumatic experience for everybody involved, particularly those losing their, their job. But it's not nice for anybody, you know? And so we went through this process and, and, and still we kept on losing money. It was just like a complete farce. And that was in the moment where I really just couldn't, my ego couldn't sustain the storyline of Dan, the superstar entrepreneur, right? So I had to, uh, to coin a phrase, surrender all of that, to kind of let it all go. I had to like let it just release it. And there was a moment in, I think, July, probably kind of quite soon after that, where I was like sat at somewhere on my own. And, I, and I'd like to think I was journaling because I do journal, uh, quite, I'm quite into journaling now. But I don't think I was. I was just sort of sat there with a blank piece of paper going, oh, fuck, like properly, like this is the eye of the storm. And it felt quite calm. And there was a dis- this distinct moment. It was calm. It hadn't been calm at all. But now, And it wasn't calm after. But in that moment, it was calm. And in that moment, I went, right, okay, what's gone wrong here? Really? You, no, don't bullshit yourself here. Don't blame anybody else for what's really gone wrong. And in that moment, uh, it became very clear. And so, so my company is called The Tech Department, and it's quite a descriptive name. It's like a plug-in tech team. Uh, we now work with... Um, early stage startup founders to build tech products. That's not what we've always done. So we've been, for 19 years, we've been going for the, up to the blow up. And for a few years after, we predominantly worked with big companies. So for example, uh, NBC Universal used to work with us as their development team partner to roll out global technology. We built the BBC Children in Need fundraising platform and helped them have a series of record fundraising years as a result of this method that we created. It's stuff like that. So it's kind of high profile, big ticket. We were like one of the key people in London that you would go to to create new tech innovation if you were in that world. So, you know, bully for us. Um, but we were kind of, um, the problem was that all this new tech innovation that was really fashionable and cool and could, we could charge a lot of money for was very unclear what the actual improvement was to uh, the company commissioning it. Quite often. You know, it was, it was good and it would win awards and, you know, Everyone high-fived each other and looked cool. But this, after the Brexit, when the CFO would get the proposal for 150 grand for a new app, and they would question what's different and better about this new app, the, 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 our client would go, well, this one uh, spins around and uh, has a 3D animation on it. And it's like, okay, what, what, why is that better than the current app we've got that doesn't cost 150 grand to, to run the new one? So, uh, and then, of course, the thing didn't happen. So the whole thing, that's why the root of our sales pipeline evaporated. And, you know, I don't blame them, frankly, because, you know, it was, it, it was what I wanted. I wanted, and my team, and actually the client, the, the marketing director or the innovation dude at the big company, wanted to do it. But the grown-ups went, well, hang on, why is this improving my company? And there was no answer or good answer to that. So, so, so I said to myself in that uh, eye of the storm moment, okay, I've built a business that's, that's delivering something that can't show improvement to the person buying it. And that's a problem. Like any time you buy something, you want to, and this is a really almost like an anodyne statement, but it's true, right? If you buy any t- anything, you want some form of improvement to your day or life. You, know, you buy lunch, you want to get you hungry. You buy an iPhone because you want a cool bit of kit. It's some form, it's like helping you improve your life, right? 
if you can't, as a business owner, articulate very, very clearly to the person buying the thing they're buying from you, what the actual business improvement is, then in that moment, I went, oh, yeah, of course we're nearly going bankrupt because it's just all built on a piece of bullshit. It's, and, you know, and there's an entire industry, by the way, that does this. So this is just, you know, I was one of, I was swimming in the same water as everybody else. And I snapped out of it in that moment. I went, oh, on. I mean, I'm swimming in the sea of bullshit with all the other people pumping out this stuff. And actually, this isn't really a good sea to be swimming in. If I navigated to a different ocean, perhaps a bluer ocean, as they say, that's less bullshit, and actually could demonstrably show the improvement that the technology I've built has made and measure that every iteration to the person buying it, that feels like a better bet if I was going to be a gambling man to put my life, career, life savings, family's future in on, then perhaps it's a better bet. So in that moment, that's, that was the, the moment of clarity. And I went, so we, we, we turned this method that we'd been applying to children in need and we sort of simplified it and called it uh, the tech boot camp. So, so what, and that method isn't like a project management method. It's, it's sort of, it's a way of aligning the vision of what you're trying to achieve, what, why you're trying to do it with what actually happens in the code and measuring that before you do it. And then, or sorry, stating the intention before you do it and then measuring it afterwards. And that, um, method is not about building technology. It's about creating business improvement. And the people that really need that, we found after shopping this around a bit, was people very early stage in their company's development, when they're an early stage founder, when they could outsource the tech and it gets built to the spec they've asked for, but ultimately it's never strategic, not, not going to work strategically. Or they hire a team and then the team leave and then they're left with whatever. And so we plug in and help improve the business through the technology as opposed to build a bunch of tech. In that moment of clarity and authenticity and the explosion of your ego, immediately after that, how did you actually feel? Um, well, humiliated, probably. Um, uh, yeah, it's a weird mixture of emotions. It's like I kind of think there was a, in some ways, there was a sort of relief in the sense of you just sort of, I'm trying to remember actually how it exactly felt then. I mean, it was, it was weird because you sort of filter this all, of course, afterwards. And, um, but at the time, it was like a mixture of relief and humiliation. Like you kind of like, you just sort of, a slight tinge of redness in the cheeks, sort of like, oh, yeah, I've just, just done a whoopsie on the carpet kind of thing. And, got to like admit it and you know it was just a sort of like a like a humbling moment i interviewed a guy called gary ridge on on the podcast who was the long-time ceo of wd40 company and he's talked about when he became ceo of that business and he's now a, a leader in helping people think about building humble cultures really vulnerable cultures um he said i had to embrace i don't know in a way that i've never done before um, and I work with a lot of leaders who've been through this kind of transition and become a much better, personally more resilient and with their team and, and stakeholders more impactful and influential a leader when, when they've been through that kind of journey. Because you know that when you go, I'm doing something to help you, it's because you've gone through that journey, exactly the one you've described. You've gone from before I was telling you that this is an amazing thing, you really want it. And now you're saying, I appreciate that you have needs and I can help serve them. And, it, and it's, it's, it's a shift in the thinking, isn't it? It's a, it's a, the act of service is critical. 
And, and this is interesting because it's so designed into my business method, not an intention, not a culture, not a kind of we will do this honest. It's like methodologically and trained. We have 16 people full time. They are trained on this method. And at the heart of the method is service to the customer, genuine service of their needs and wants. Yeah. And we live by that. And by the way, that's intensely motivating for our team. They love it. They're like, oh, my God, I'm actually not ripping people off. I mean, we've had a woman who joined a couple of years ago who said, this is the first place I've ever worked where you're not just trying to pull a fast one on the customer all the time. Yeah, like, and, yeah, and, and in some ways, this is the part of the problem. Like, it, and it's not even the people talk about systems a lot now. Like, it's systemic. In the kind of agency or service um, business culture, it's systemic. You, the game you are playing is a, a shit short-term game, I will suggest. And I know that because I did that for, like, a long time until I blew my business up. You go in to see a customer and you say, hey, what's the brief? What's your budget? When's the deadline for the pitch? And then you try and get as much of what you do for as much money as you can lever out of the client by manipulating their perspective on what reality is. And then you land grab it, and then you go back to the office, high five, invoice it as quick as you can, do as little work as you can get away with, roughly, and then ship it because it's more profitable to give it to a junior than to give it to the senior. And then that's the game. And, and the customer knows that's the game, and you know that's the game, and you pretend it's not the game by taking her out to lunch a lot, but that's the game. Yeah, and, and that's the entire industry. But I, I had this out with the dudes, dudes who run a podcast called Agency Phonics. So they're, they're basically um, very uh, well-respected um, across the world, the like design, creative, advertising agency, marketing agency crews. I'm like, yeah, and he says, they were a bit like, I'm a bit of a cynic as it comes to this kind of stuff. But they were like, yeah, yeah, that is basically predominantly how it is in the industry. And, you know, it just is. And so it's such a shit game. And who wants to play that game? You feel like a scumbag. You know, like I, I felt like a, like a, 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 felt dirty doing it because I'm basically manipulating everyone for my personal advantage, right? And that isn't a great way to be, I don't think, personally. You might disagree with me, the, the, the listener, whatever. But the point being, my blow up moment, my unlock moment, got me to kind of go snap out of that delusion and, and commit myself to an act, a life of service. And that's, you know, talk about servant leadership or humility or vulnerability. It's about actually, it's actually getting over yourself. And again, coming back to your point about n- n- not thinking you need to have the answer, well, how can you know the answer to everything all the time in advance of everybody else? It's such a ridiculous proposition that you, because you have a title and whatever, and a CV, you know forevermore in perpetuity everything that's going to happen in a dynamically moving environment like we're in today that's only getting faster and more dynamic. Just It's just bullshit. And you're bullshitting yourself. And that isn't a great premise from which to make decisions, from which to lead which deliver a life that ultimately isn't going to end up in a series of like you being frustrated. And, and it creates psychological pain, actually, because you have to pretend and sustain the bullshit persona that you are correct all the time when you're not going to be. And the difference between the persona you're trying to project and the reality, that gap is psychological pain for you. So, so all this stuff I'm talking about is, is just a way of f- flattening the difference between me, Dan Kirby, who I really am, and the sort of expectations I have on myself. And that I still take the full responsibility, but I just don't go, well, by definition, I am right. So the true underlying 
authentic, Dan Kirby was uncovered in that process. That process was precipitated by financial challenges in the business. If you hadn't had financial challenges in the business, if you'd been in the stage where it was continuing to work in the way it had done before, do you think you would have come to the cathartic moment a different way? Do you think you wouldn't have come to the cathartic moment? I might be divorced. I might be. I'm not, but like, I might be. I might be continuing with mental health issues. You know, I think there was a different form. You know, the, the, getting a, whatever the, 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 there was a, a form by which I arrived at that point. The form was financial catastrophe. But the, why is there a financial catastrophe? Well, it wasn't just freaking abstract stuff, like in a, a series of spreadsheets that were wrong. It's all of that. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from me. I created the company. I led the company. I hired the people. I chose the strategy. I was in the company every day. All these, again, people like to have this sort of, again, I've had this on the podcast, like, what was it that made the business blow up? Was it um, the, the debt to GDP ratio on your thing? And is it some, some sort of mechanical, tactical thing that's to do with the accounting system of the company? Was that the reason that it went blow up? I thought, well, maybe, but like the real reason was me. Again, it's something, and this is part of the getting rid of the walnut shell bit. It's like, look, you can blame, yeah, the cash flow forecast, but you can go and kick the tires of the cash flow forecast. Right? You can do that. If you sniff it, you can generally, you know, and again, at the time when I was before my business blew up, I knew there were straws in the wind. I saw it, I smelled it. I just didn't want to do it. I thought, ah, I didn't want, I couldn't be, if I'm really honest, I didn't want to, I, was, I couldn't be bothered. I just sort of checked out and that's why it all happened. And, and so these abstract things are a source of comfort because it stops it being fully on your shoulders. We're human beings navigating other human beings. So what have you learned from some of the people that you've had on the podcast about going, them going through this kind of their own journey around playing out the business? Yeah, I mean, and, and, and what, so I've interviewed about 80 people now uh, on the podcast. We've been going for about, about two years and we found out the other week that we're now in the top 2.5% of all global podcasts. Thank you. Yeah, and, and frankly, it was it's something I'm not a podcaster. I run a small company uh, in the UK and I set this thing up purely as a way of helping other people. I think any success that we've had, because we've advertised it or anything, is purely because I think people sense that. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, there's too many, well, too, too many people. There's a lot of people talking in business about, you know, it's a kind of a bit of manipulation. What I'm saying is, look, I want to make the world's most authentic, realist podcast about what it's really like. So all the conversations I have, not everyone's gone through the same or similar experience to me. Not everyone's gone through a bankruptcy or anything really sort of dramatic. Some people have. But everyone talks very, very candidly about what really went on and how it really felt in the moment. You know, it's, it's funny because all the books that you read, like Steve Jobs or whatever, there's a bit where it all goes wrong. You have the hero's journey when it goes wrong and you're in the valley and it's all going to hell. But of course, the hero comes back and at the end, we, you know, the, the curtains close as the soaring music and they ride, they ride off into the sunset and it's all gravy. That's the story that you get told. But why I try and do in the podcast is to go back to that, that, that the uncertainty time, the moment where it's gone wrong and the business partner's just left and you're on one month away from it all going to shit. And what did it feel like then before you became the OBE holding multi-gazillionaire or whatever? Yeah. And, and it's so funny as well because, because the other thing I've learned is that people 
There's a, a great, there's two interviews I've done with a, a fantastic woman, uh, pioneering, innovative uh, entrepreneur, tech entrepreneur called Margaret Manning. And Margaret um, has an OBE. She sold two global digital companies. Uh, she lives in Barbados. So, right, there's, a, there's some facts about Margaret. And I imagine you and the listeners are going, fucking hell, she's got it sorted. Totally, literally achieved the dream. However, <laughs> her second interview with me, I've, I've become friendly and uh, she's become a collaborator and indeed a client, actually. We're working with her on an AI startup that she's leading, my company. But her, through knowing her more, I knew that I found, I found out that this story had a, a shadow side. And on the second interview I had with Margaret, she told the story that after these things had happened, she went to Barbados and then had, had this unbelievable depression, total lack in, like, just a total implosion of confidence, total implosion of purpose, total lack of, like, total imposter syndrome, which seems in, unbelievable after, like, having all that against your name. Total imposter syndrome, totally lost. Then lockdown happened. And we, we get into it on the second podcast. She's incredibly vulnerable and open. And, and, and she, the reason, by the way, she wanted to do that without speaking on her behalf was because this is a thing that happens, but nobody talks about it. No one. You, you, the, the, we, we joke in the, story, in the podcast about this, the movie that everybody wants to believe is real, is that all those things happen to you. You get all these accolades, this external validation and material success. And you ride off into the sunset and it's just repeat to fade glory and, you know, greatness. When actually for her, she sort of, as the movie sort of, the, the, the movie titles ran and she's riding off into the sunset and the curtains came back on the movie screen. She was like riding the thing and bumped into the fake backdrop and hit her head on the, on the fact it was actually on the movie stage and it wasn't really real. And, and everybody was like, yeah, cool. She's sorted. And she really wasn't. So, so it's so interesting. Like, so, so anybody listening, we all, it's a human condition, right? It, we, we all compare us. We're, we're social animals. We're, we're apes comparing ourselves to all the other apes. And we're uh, comparing and then judging and then uh, having this sort of mental sort of like, oh my God, I'm, I'm rubbish because I haven't got a Ferrari or whatever. And, and this dude on Instagram, he's got a Ferrari. And I haven't got one yet, so I'm a failure. And there's all these little narratives running in your head. And that's just how people are. And, and that's, so, so it doesn't matter the kind of gongs that you've won or the amount of money in your bank account. That's just what goes on. And so I think that what I've, I've really learned from a lot of my guests is that that is the, the truth and reality. And that a lot of these people, very accomplished in their 50s, very successful, top of their industry, are a bit lonely, are a bit isolated, are afraid of... They can't let their guard down at the networking thing because everyone's trying to pitch them, right? And everyone sees them as the sort of as a sort of cash dispenser basically because they've had some success and they're less successful, so they want to get sell them something. And so there's a sort of a, a, a tribe of lost souls, and these lost souls are the weirdos, the misfits, the the, the entrepreneurs. I'm quoting Steve Jobs there, and uh, the, the sort of you know, the, the, the kind of people are the oddballs. And they're all out there doing their thing, judging themselves and being harsh on themselves. And part of my learning personally is to soften that. You know, it's still, I'm a hard-charging, driven entrepreneurial type, but I'm much less critical of myself. I'm much less, I'm much more compassionate to myself. 
and others. I'm much more patient with myself and others. You know, and it all started with me coming back to the I, the Dan Kirby that didn't have to prove himself all the time to everyone. That Dan Kirby, if he got rid of all that expectation for everybody else that didn't really exist and was more at peace with himself, that Dan Kirby is a much better human being and that propagates into everything else. And, and really, the, sort of the, the conversations I've had, really, that's a pattern that's just true for everybody. You know, and actually connecting with who, who you really are and your, perhaps your intuition, your, the, the sense of what you know is right, your conscience, that is the work for anybody listening. Because you sort of, here's a, a little data point for you. This is quite a nice one, actually. So in these 80 interviews, I often, not, not always, but often ask a question at the end, which is, um, what advice should entrepreneurs ignore? And I would say out of the responses I've had, 80% of the responses easily have been, they sh entrepreneurs or you listening should just ignore other people's advice. Listen to it. You know, take it onto account, but it's not, you aren't that person. You aren't in that moment in time. The circumstances that you're in today are not the circumstances of a year ago. What you want is not what they want. Yeah, so you can listen to their advice, you can listen to their stories, you can listen to the wisdom, but just take it all with a big pinch of salt. And 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 uh, and again, what's interesting is that 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 answer to that question comes with a very quick follow up, and this is most people have said this: ignore other advice, but listen to your intuition, listen to your gut. And so so it's don't it's like ignore everybody else and listen to your body, listen to your gut, listen to your heart, listen to your you know, your, your sort of the visceral response you have to something and take, and, and that's why having a good, uh, slowing things down, having a better relationship with yourself and less with your ego, less what you think other people would want you to do or what you think the, the society tells you you should have. Listening to what do you want? What is the quiet voice that, you know, once you've meditated, done an hour's worth of breath work, done some yoga and then, you know, whatever, had a nice cup of chamomile tea, what does that bit of you say? as opposed to the highly caffeinated on stage, pumping the air, wanting to get up with Gary Vaynerchuk or what have you, that version of you want. Now, what does the true you want? And if you've got that relationship with your true you, right, which takes work to get there, and it's taken me work to get there, then you can get an honest answer to that question instead of a bullshit answer. And for me, the bullshit answers I was getting to that question led me to the blow up. And so, so the, the blow up helped me get to where I am now. But that, so ignore other people's advice, but listen to your own intuition. I was writing on LinkedIn yesterday, somebody who had written uh, an article about people feeling doubt. And they asked, you know, what's your perspective on doubt? And I said, well, because I do a lot of work with a psychometric assessment called Gallup Clifton Strengths, which is about your natural talents and strengths. And everybody's got a mix of them, mix of 34 different talents that, that you can demonstrate in psychology. Uh, so you might be competitive, or you might be naturally analytical, or you might be naturally uh, a, a gatherer of information, you might be naturally a diplomat. The least common in the first 20 million people who ever did the assessment of the 34 is a talent for self-assurance. So most people in life are walking around with an inner level of wobble that many successful entrepreneurs who are the ones that get to speak up on stage and say, I was successful, eat the breakfast diet, and you too will become a millionaire. One of the things they don't lack is self-assurance. 
Um, another thing they don't like is ego often. Um, but it's always interesting for me when I'm thinking about talking to people and saying, you know, be confident in yourself to remember that actually for most people, it is a thing that there is a talent for being self-assured and most people don't have it. I, th I thought that's very interesting. The, the second least common in the 20 million is a talent for what's called command, which is being a natural leader as in being the person that wants to step forward, you know, so in the playground, when they said, who wants to step forward and, and, and lead the team, most people take half a step back and hope somebody else is going to do it. So there are, there are interesting things in the population that, that we all feel as though everyone around us is much more confident than we are. The reality is they're equally unconfident. Um, and, right. And learning to, to harness that inner wobble and choose to do something positive with it. I mean, you know, a piece, a, a, a statement I wrote at the end of my reply was, and I don't know quite whether this is true, but I said it anyway to see whether, see how people respond. I said, doubt is a choice, you know, so, and when you need to, when you need to trust your gut, sometimes you need to learn that that's okay. What you need to do when you've trusted your gut is you need to then back yourself on the decision that you make. And if the decision doesn't work out, it's still the decision you made. And so you've got to figure out what you do next. Just keep moving forward with it. And there are, I know so many people who are, who are stuck um, in a paralysis of not making a decision at all in case it's the wrong one. Yeah, and that, that then that is a form of decision. So not making a decision is a decision. And that's just then you are at the whim of, of fate. And as, as a, a quote I quite like, Carl Jung, the psychoanalyst, once said, that uh, um, uh, unless you make the subconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. And what you just described there is someone not knowing that they uh, have self-doubt and that's consuming them, and they're not making a decision, and then they go, oh, this happened, what else could I do because of Brexit or something, right? The market changed, and this is what happened to me. And actually, it wasn't that. It was because they held back and held back and procrastinated and self-sabotaged, and they didn't even know they were doing it. And there was a handy, uh, the boss made me do it. The staff made me do it. My mental health made me do it. But actually, the, the great empowering thing is to sort of go back to the true source and say, well, I have control and I have to sort of figure out how I can do that. I mean, this, again, is that there's so many, um, it, by the way, one more thing springs to mind. You know, this is, I think, is why um, there's so many gurus nowadays on the internet or, you know, the kind of unbelievable, unblinking certainty of an Andrew Tate, for example. And there's lots of other people like that. He's just the extreme example. People who, you know, we all know them. There's what's called entrepreneur types who kind of have got a course and the course ends in a seven and there's a big stack of benefits. And they're all, my thing will make you a millionaire. Yes, it will, it will, it will, it will. Well, if, if command and self-assurance is in short supply, that's why those people do well, all right? And it's interesting just saying that because I've been cogitating on that a little bit recently. And so that's point one. But point two is there's a, a great podcast which I often go back to is with a, a guy who's a coach called Peter Sage. Uh, he used to coach with Tony Robbins for 15 years. And he had a, an incident. I interviewed him on my podcast. This is the point. Uh, he, he got sent to prison, um, I think 2017 or 18, similar time to my blow up. And he'd had, um, but for contempt of court. So he hadn't committed a crime. He'd been, um, he was a very well-respected entrepreneur. He'd been listed alongside Elon Musk and various other people in 2015. And two years later, he was six months in Pendendale Prison, the most violent prison in the UK. Uh, and he hadn't committed a crime, which is why he was there for six months, because they didn't know what to do with him. But the judge sent him down for contempt of court. He was getting sued by a corporate uh, company in the high court. Anywho, 
So this dude, you talk about having a bad day. He was about to get, he was going to get married the following month. He had a business of 50 people, which closed overnight. Uh, a big reputation up in smoke. People were deleting the podcast they'd been having with him off the internet because he'd got this you know, tarnish against his name. So it all went pretty bad. But he said, you know, I've got this, um, these mindsets and these ways of looking at the world, which I've been applying with Tony Robbins, and I believe are, 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 are the right thing to do. And he chose to use it as a growth experience. And he, what he says is a great line, uh, or two things I'll share with you now. One is, he said, relax, nothing's under control. You like to think it is, that's your ego. Well, if I do this, and I get this, 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 this PhD, and then I go to business school, and then I do this plot, and then I get there's enough cash in the bank, and then that'll allow me to get this business, and then I can, I can buy a house, and then, and then I'll have a kid, right? And so you have this sort of deck of cards you stack up, of like whatever it is for you, that if you do this, then what you want in a, that you currently want now will happen, right? And when that doesn't happen, you get stressed. Right, but how, how, why would it happen? This sort of future fantasy that you've, you've invented. So this idea of look, how do you know that there's going to be a pandemic or a war in Ukraine or that the internet's going to get cut off in your town tomorrow? You just don't know it. So just like don't sweat it when it happens. Just go with what he would call the kind of flow of the river. All right. So in nature, there's no straight lines, but we want a straight line. So we want a straight line between point A, where I am today, and point B, what I want in the future, based on my current preferences. Yeah. But a, a river running down a mountain doesn't go in a straight line. It should, because obviously that's the most direct route, but it doesn't. And we're creatures of nature. We're humans. We are from nature. We like to think we're not, but we are. But why would a natural thing go in a straight line when we're a natural thing, right? So this is a curvy line. But what happens is in the, when you're in the river and the river, you want to go right and the river takes you left. So for example, you get sent to prison or your business blows up. The, the stress that you feel in that moment is because you're fighting against what's actually happening, right? So he says what will happen is you, 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 you're in your boat and you get taken on the left on the river. And we, you, so you take it out of your boat, and you drag it to the shore, and you, like Fitzcarraldo, drag your boat over a mountain through the jungle and you hack it across to get back to the river where you want to go and you get back in the river and off you go. Whereas if you'd stayed in the river and just positioned yourself well within the river, it's swept to the left and then resumed back round to the right much quicker. Than, but you just couldn't see, you didn't have the perspective on what was going to happen in the future because you can't predict it because it's unknowable. But you, just, well, but you felt uncomfortable, uncertain, so you didn't really want to get rid of that feeling, so you replaced it with activity, and that activity was dragging your boat across the mountain. But if you get comfortable with the uncertainty, you get comfortable with the, uh, with the, the feeling of discomfort and unknowingness, right? And you position yourself well within it. And this is what I try and do. I, I call it the groove, right? So I uh, have a certain set of routines that help me mentally, physically, uh, my awareness uh, of you know, my tribe of people I hang out with. These are things I work on proactively. I call it the groove. If I stay in the groove, my life works out. If I get out of the groove, Stress and bother, right? Stay in the group. And that means that when I'm, when I'm in a state of flux or uncertainty, which I'm often in because I'm an entrepreneur, uh, I don't get stressed out. My, I have this little sine wave. I don't get worried. I go, oh, fuck it. What do I know? Right? It's probably really good, this. I, just don't, I don't know how it's really good yet because it hasn't happened yet. So just, if I trust it, it will be good. But I position myself carefully within it, i.e. I look after myself, I eat well, I go to sleep early, I do my breath work, I do my fitness stuff, I stay in the groove. Right. It means that if some shit kicks off, which is pretty challenging, I can um, handle it well. 
So therefore, I don't fuck it up because I've got a stress on and start shouting at somebody. And then I can optimize the flow of the river, even if it's going in the direction I don't want it to go. And then it zips past, and then I'm like, okay, cool. So, so that, that sort of Peter Sage podcast I had was really interesting. That concept really stuck with me. So if you're in a, a river, you can position yourself in it so you don't, like in the white water, so you don't hit the rocks, right? You've got you to stay alert. It's not very comfortable, but you can navigate through it. If you freak out, you might drown. So stay cool. And, and that, that is a thing you can work on, right? So to this point of um, not naturally being good at something, yeah, yeah, but you still work on it. You still practice that. This is a practice. Uh, my groove, I talk about the groove, you know, it's not easy. I, 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 so I ran a big ultramarathon thing in the desert, in the Sahara Desert, six marathons in seven days. There's a thing called the Marathon des Sahara. I've, I've literally two years ago, I, I was just about doing the part run. I was 47 years old and I'd never been a runner, quotes unquote. I've done triathlon in the past. The running was the worst bit for me. And now I regularly run ultramarathons. I really enjoy running. It's brilliant. I love it. I mean, I mean, and I wasn't that when I signed up to do that race. I just, it was like, a, I thought I'd have an adventure and whatever. The point being, do you know how I got better at running? Doing more running. Right? You know, it's, not, it's not difficult, this stuff. It's like, if you want to get better at self-assurance or command, do it more. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you're not comfortable with it, just fake it and then you make it. I mean, it's literally... And, and like to your point, everybody is just winging it all the time. So just don't sweat it. <laughs> it's like, a lot of this is the interesting. Once you let go of a lot of this stuff, just go, fuck it. I'm going to make a tit of myself here, probably, but fuck it. Then suddenly all the anxieties and fears and anticipation just goes. And then who cares? Do you know what I mean? Like you're not going to die if you make a fool of yourself on that stage. So just do it. I'm going to take away that, that quote, relax, nothing's under control. Uh, and for listeners who have really tuned into, particularly this last part of the conversation where we were talking about navigating in uncertainty, um, there's some previous episodes in the podcast that you'll find very interesting. One is with Professor Nathan Fur of INSEAD, who, whose book's The Upside of Uncertainty, and it's all about how you take uncertainty and don't shrink into the corner and wait till it's gone. You actively embrace the uncertainty and, and do something with it. I think that's really powerful. Um, and also, you know, when you're talking about um, what Marshall Goldsmith calls the great Western disease of it'll be happy when, which is your, um, your, your, your story about Margaret Manning. Um, I think you know, he interviewed lots of hugely successful leaders and athletes and so on. And he said, you know, they're all trying to be happy in the future. And whatever they do, how much money they make, how many Olympic gold medals they win, actually, it's not about that. Um, and his book, The End Life, is all around. Uh, being being happy in the moment and finding ways to choose fulfillment now might still mean that you're successful in the future too. But if you're unfulfilled now for the hope that one day you might be fulfilled because you achieve all these goals that your friends or your neighbors have achieved, then you're on a, a, a path to to challenge. That's really great advice. And I think this is, this is ultimately, I think where I've got to is being more at peace with my, just as it is, you know, and, Trusting it'll figure itself out, and that's a, it's just a great, great. In fact, you, you asked me a question: What's the big thing that's coming out of it? I think I've come to a place of peace. I'm very ambitious. I run a company. I'm a fully fledged capitalist. I'm, you know, all this stuff very creative. I like to test myself, but I, I'm just not holding on to it too tightly. You know, I'm just like going, yeah, you know, I want to, you know, <laughs> ultimately, it's all a game. It doesn't really matter. 
Like, and, and to the point of this is this Western disease of I'll be happy when. You know, you buy the Ferrari, and literally I know somebody who, well, this has happened. Three weeks later, same. It won't fix you. It's all bollocks. Let's just say that. And uh, what, there's a great, again, I'm a big one for books, but David Brooks's book, The Second Mountain. Uh, the first mountain, fame and money, won't make you happy. Uh, second mountain of service to others will. And that's why my business is designed to serve others. That's why my podcast is designed to, to serve others. I am trying to live my life by that ethic. And that makes me happy. Right? And if I can make money as a side product from that, and I get some reputation from that, that's, not, that's all nice. right? But fundamentally, the substance is about service to others. And if you, again, recalibrate your thinking to be more in that kind of space, then all this, all this stuff just evaporates. A lot of the mental pain I used to feel evaporated. It's just gone. I don't know where it's gone to, but I don't feel it anymore. That's a great place to land. Dan, how can people find out more about you and the work you do? Well, um, uh, check out the podcast, Honey, I Blow Up the Business, on all major podcast platforms. Uh, there's a uh, honeyiblowupthebusiness.com. Uh, has all the previous episodes on it and get, get a feel for what we're up to. And I'm on LinkedIn, um, Daniel Kirby, Dan Kirby. Um, just check me out there. I post quite often. I'm trying to post more regularly about things like this groove thing. I'm, I'm trying to put out a mess. Uh, literally just sort of saying what I'm up to. And because uh, often this stuff is stuff, it's a bit counterintuitive. But if you work on that, everything else flows a bit easier. And that's really, I think, what I'd like people to take away. is You have the ability to respond. It's in your gift. And, and so I'd encourage you to sort of explore that because if you take that ownership in control, then not, you're pretty bulletproof then because whatever comes at you, you can control that. Fantastic. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For tech CEO and podcaster Dan Kirby, it was a moment of crisis when he found a powerful moment of truth that helped him to shape the path ahead. Dan, thank you so much for telling your story and for joining me today on The Unlock Moment. My pleasure. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on The Unlock Moment. Thank you.